0: Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 343. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms, and thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018 florists review magazine i'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for the new slow flowers journal found in the pages of florists review it's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at debraprinsing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 343. This past week, the American Horticultural Society announced that I'm the 2018 recipient of a Great American Gardener Award, one of 12 such awards given this year. What's really special is this specific award, which is named for Francis Jones Potker, a floral designer, author, and lecturer. First given in 1988, the award recognizes significant contributions to floral design in publications, on the platform, and to the public. Who is Frances Jones Potker? I thought it important to meet her. Frances Jones Potker was born on April 14, 1913, and grew up in Walnut Hills, Ohio. She later earned a degree in botany from Vassar College, and she also attended the University of Cincinnati, receiving her master's degree in plant ecology. Frances's family owned Jones the Florist and operated flower shops in Ohio and Kentucky for more than a century. She was proud of her lineage as her ancestors were originally named Jonas, a floral dynasty dating to the early 1500s when they provided flowers to the courts of Holland. Frances was a remarkable woman known as the first lady of flowers in the floral industry, both locally in Ohio and internationally. She received numerous awards and recognitions over her lifetime for her achievements as a botanist and horticulturist. She wrote a book titled Receiving God's Gifts Flowers, Herbs, Grasses, Trees, and Water. She co authored a prize winning ecological book, Wild Wealth, and had a syndicated column called Fun with Flowers. She also presented a nationally syndicated TV course on plant ecology. Frances also received an Olympic medal as co-chair of floral decorations at the 1980 Lake Placid Olympics and was named to the Floriculture Hall of Fame in 1967, which is the industry's highest honor. In addition, her antique posy holder collection is displayed in a permanent position at the Smithsonian. She died in March 2008, a decade ago. Why am I so excited about receiving this recognition? To me, the award legitimizes all of the efforts of the Slow Flowers community as we work tirelessly to change the floral landscape in the U.S. I have no idea whether Frances Jones Potker was a Slow Flowers kindred spirit, but I like to imagine that she was, if only because of the decades that her career spanned. I have to think she was a Constance spry type of florist, one who relied on local flower growers and greenhouses to stock her Cincinnati flower shop. At any rate, this is our award for the entire Slow Flowers community, and its existence moves what many considered a fringe concept to the mainstream, where the consideration of seasonal, local, and sustainable flowers is top of mind. It's merely a piece of paper that I can frame, but I'm honored to accept this award and share it with you. Okay, on to today's guest. I'm so pleased to introduce Shannon Cosgrove-Rivas of Sacramento-based Flourish. Shannon and I figured out that we met through chapel designers when Holly Chapel invited me to speak at one of her New York conferences several years ago later when I was producing the floral stage at the San Francisco Flower and Garden Show in 2016, I put out a call to all Slow Flowers members in California asking for presentation proposals. And Shannon did just that. She ended up coming to San Francisco to teach at the San Francisco Flower and Garden Show. We had a great time and I actually found a photo, a few photos taken of us together and her beautiful floral arrangements that was part of that demonstration. So you can see those on our uh, show notes at deborahprinzing.com. Here's a bit more about Shannon, excerpted from her website. She writes, "I started flourish with the belief that every wedding should be a unique reflection of the couple. Every couple has a story, and that story is beautiful. Using the freshest, seasonal and local flowers to inspire a maze and to tell that story is my passion." My husband Jim and I were married in 1994. Aside from having everyone we loved in attendance, we knew a few things needed to happen for our wedding to feel authentic to us as a couple. I wanted a wedding gown that was simple and classic. Jim, a musician, wanted to choose all the music, and I absolutely had to carry peonies down the aisle. I wore a floral brocade gown and carried Sarah Bernhardt peonies. We danced the night away with our closest friends to such gems as The Groove is in the Heart and Friday I'm in Love." I could fill this space with how I have been designing in flowers for 26 years, and my designs have been published in national magazines and wedding blogs, etc. Experience matters, but that is not the reason you should choose Flourish to design your wedding flowers. The reason you should choose Flourish is designing flowers is my passion. Sharing that passion with my clients is what I love. When I design flowers for a wedding, I'm as invested in those flowers as I was in 1994 when I placed those precious peonies in my own bridal bouquet. Every time I see a pink panty, I think back to that day in May. Your wedding flowers should be just as perfect and just as meaningful. We believe that the beauty we are honored to work with every day should be available for our children and children's children to enjoy. What that means is using sustainable and environmentally responsible practices whenever possible. These are some of the steps we have taken to make operations at Flourish more environmentally friendly. We use locally grown and seasonally available flowers whenever possible. We are proud to be a member of Slow Flowers. We have added a new cutting garden to the grounds outside our workshop. Our cutting garden will allow us to add unique touches to our designs without having to truck those stems and blooms to our facility. We compost all organic waste for use in our cutting garden. All paper, glass, and cardboard are... Are recycled. Whenever possible, we use vases, containers, and props for multiple events. We limit the amount of non-biodegradable foam that we use in our arrangements. Excess water from the design studio is used to water the plants in our cutting garden. We have asked our suppliers to limit the amount of paperwork, invoices, and extra packing materials sent to us. Many of our vases and containers are made from recycled materials. All of our estimates, invoices, contracts, and other communications are done electronically, so there is no paper waste. We use limited paper marketing materials to reduce waste. And what we do use, business cards and gift bags, for example, are made from recycled materials. We limit the amount of packing materials we use in transportation and presentation of flowers. And floral designs left after an event are donated to a senior center where the flowers can continue to bring joy after an event is over. Well, I love that Shannon has proclaimed specific practices on her website, clearly underscoring her brand and values that she wants to share with her clients. You'll see photos of Shannon and her beautiful flowers at today's show notes for episode 343 at deborahprinzing.com, as well as a link to the recent Sacramento Magazine article about Shannon's slow flowers practices. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so delighted today to introduce Shannon Cosgrove-Rivas. Hi, Shannon. Hi. It's great to be here. Yeah. Virtually uh, speaking to you a couple states away. Uh, You're based in Sacramento, California, and your business name is Flourish. Uh, Just one word, right? Yes. Just one word. I love it. Well, we met, um, I don't even know how we met originally, but uh, I put out a call in 2016 maybe or 15 uh-huh. to slow flowers members asking if anyone was interested in presenting on the floral stage at the san francisco flower and garden show and you raised your hand and said you'd like to teach and yes. i got to watch you in action it was and your husband came you, you were just so fun to watch uh oh, thank design you. yeah i can't even remember what was your topic was it garlands or oh i think i taught on um Designing with mostly textural elements. Okay, I know so. I have photos of that. I'm going to go dig them out so I can show them on our our show notes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And actually, have some pictures of the arrangement that I made so I can shoot those up. Oh, that'd be great. Well, yeah. so um, tell tell me about Flourish. I mean, one of the things I have to say is that uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of activity in slow flowers community in like Bay the Bay Area and even in north bay napa and sonoma but in in sacramento um there isn't so i and i don't know why that is uh but i'm glad that you're representing so flowers there yeah and, and is it maybe because there's like less floral agriculture and more food agriculture in the area or could be partly that
1: um but the truth is is that i'm really excited about our area has recently within the last three or four years really started popping up more and more small flower farmers. Mm. And um, I've kind of sort of attached myself to them, <laughs> whether they like it or not. But, um, you know, so it is a lot of fun. And we have a little forum that we kind of talk to. In fact, last week I um, got the dreaded call that you get from your wholesaler. And they say, yeah, so those 95 stems of white and black anemones, you need it. They didn't come in, but I have white ranunculas, and I'm
0: like,
1: great. That's not helpful at all. Um, The bride was basing her whole wedding on these white anemones that I said, yeah, absolutely. They're in season. No problem. But we've had rain. So I kind of put a call out on our forum and I was like, help me, please. And I had a lot of people come to my rescue, um, which was fabulous. And, um, so I'm kind of hoping that they, they start developing a little bit more. I know that they're working on putting together some workshops and so maybe I'll keep you apprised of all of that. Right. So
0: these are small, uh, specialty cut flower growers right. in, in the Sacramento area. Within like 10 to 15 miles of Sacramento proper. Oh my gosh, that's fabulous. That's- well, what is, is the region called Sacramento or is it called inland or, or. Um, yeah. Sacramento Valley okay. is kind of what it's known as, but, mm. um. Yeah. So it's,
1: it, it's, it's an interesting area I know for people to grow. I, I don't, I do a little bit of growing myself. Just, I have a yard, a large yard mm-hmm. uh, and I have, uh, like six raised beds that I grow dahlias and zinnias and things that I can easily cut from mm-hmm. dusty blur and scented geranium, things like that. Um, and we're nine B. So what that means is it, it's pretty darn hot most of the time, but we do get some coastal influence, Um, so I think it's a little more challenging for people to grow here because it gets, it can get pretty crispy.
0: Yes. I, I can only imagine, like, do you have umbrellas over your dahlias in in September and August and September? Yeah.
1: I'm lucky in that my yard is very, um, shaded from about 4 PM on. So it gets, um, full sun. And then once it starts becoming blistering hot, it's shaded. Oh,
0: (laughs) that's awesome.
1: a Good situation for me, but Obviously, I'm very small potatoes, and that's not going to be good for most growers. So these um, people that are kind of, you know, starting to grow in this area are very stout of heart. Oh, so, that's right.
0: Um, well, they they need people to sell their flowers to, and so, yeah. um, you know, it's a it's symbiotic you know interdependency I'd love to connect with them more too so that's really awesome so let's um talk a little bit about Flourish and describe your business I I was surprised when you told me before we started recording that you've um been in the business for 16 years so you're actually
1: longer um I started working at a flower shop back in um I want to say it was 89 okay and so it's been how long has that been I don't know 20 Seven yeah. years, yeah, yeah. Something like that
0: um, you were like twelve or something when you I started was,
1: absolutely, yeah <laughs> uh, no I was I was adjusting to college, and so I was actually keeping their books, and so I would go and um enter the old school charges when people would call and they had house accounts um and I used like a manual typewriter on <laughs> cards it was pretty. <laughs> You know, it was almost like Fred Flintstone with the (laughs) tablet and the little bird that chiseled it in. That was me.
0: Oh, yeah. I've worked in those kind of settings before college jobs.
1: It was 89, but we did have computers at that point. And Mm -hmm. so he was still pretty far behind the times. But when I was done chiseling the entries into the the stone tablets, I would come out front and help wrap plants and ring up customers and um, just very rudimentary around the shop kind of stuff. And um I totally fell in love with it. And my aunt was a florist when I was a kid. So I remember her having flowers around. And, um, so yeah, so I really fell in love with it and I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. And, um, I was in college at the time. I pretty much didn't really pursue a four year after that point. Um, I opened my first flower shop in 94. Um, so wow. it was a big for me. Yeah. Were my you husband- like still
0: in your twenties?
1: I was 23. Wow.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. So,
1: I know. Um, and so my husband and I, we got married that year and I opened a flower shop. So it was quite the banner year. Um, but yeah, so I opened a flower shop. Um, I actually had another flower shop shortly thereafter. And um, about, I think it was 98, I was pregnant with our first son. And I just was at the time, you know, retail seemed very inefficient to me mm-hmm. not to be, bagging on retail. Cause we totally need those types of florists. Right. Um, uh, but I feel like in this floral world, there's two different types of florists. There's an event florist and there's a retail florist and you have a different personality for each type of, um, business.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and of course there's some people who do both and they do them wonderfully. Um, but I really didn't want to just hang around the shop waiting for someone to show up and buy something. Um, and that was, and that coupled with having, just having about to have a child, I was like, and the internet was starting up, you know, it was 98. So I had my first website back then. Um, and I'm like, someday people will be buying flowers on internet. You Mm. know, it's not going to be like people coming in and Mm -hmm. ordering an an anniversary arrangement. And, um, so I just kind of said, you know what, I'm not, I sold the business and, um, couple of different, I kind of took a little side routes here and there, but ultimately landed where I am now, where I have, um, a studio at home and that's where we do all of our designing is at the house. And then I actually have an office in midtown Sacramento, um, that has like samples and things like that there, but I don't, um, do any production at that office.
0: Is that where Uh, you're, so that's like where you'll do your consults and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's the client comes to see me. Um, and that's kind of how I've been doing things for like the last 12 years, I guess.
0: So were you always in the Sacramento area, uh, greater Valley area or? Yes. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, from the time I did
1: briefly move to LA and I still kind of kick myself. I would have loved to be like a set, you know, florist or Mm -hmm. something. Um, but at the time I just missed my family and friends. So I moved back. Um, but yeah, so pretty much from about the age of 19, Twenty on, I've been back in Sacramento mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in the floral industry. Yeah,
0: so uh, it's kind of an interesting to hear your arc of starting in retail and then making the decision that yeah, that didn't a fit- rocky Road. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again. It was a rocky road. <laughs> a road. I mean, it's
1: never it's never a straight path. Mm. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, And you're, um, but you've done it, you kind of tasted a lot of different ways of doing floral and it really boils down to what works for you and your lifestyle and your, and your personality, as you said. Right.
1: And I wanted to be able to spend, I didn't like how busy I was during the holidays. Um, and I wanted, it's, it's very important to me to kind of really spend a lot of time with my friends and family around that time. And that's just part of my personality. I just really wanted that. Um, and so it works perfect for me because Mm -hmm. my season runs from April till, till November, um, is my busiest time. And then I'm of course meeting with clients, but I'm not necessarily in production, at least not heavy production.
0: Right. So, So, um, weddings are your primary, uh, they are mission in life, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I, I love it. I know there's a
1: lot of people that are like, I don't know how you could do it. It's too stressful. I, it's just my personality. I'm able to kind of, I, I don't mind it. I really do like it. So. Well,
0: how do, you, how do you keep it sane, Shannon? Do you have um, freelancers who come in and help you? I mean, sure, you've got a lot of smart systems in place to make it tolerable.
1: Yes. Well, I do have freelancers that work for me. I have um, one designer that's worked for me for several years now. My, and I get the whole family involved. I've got my mom <laughs> pulling rentals and processing. My stepdad builds stuff for me my husband helps me set up. I've got a 16 year old now that I bribe with money. Um, and you know, they come along. Um, so it is, it's very much of a family thing as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do use a good staff or a good pool of freelancers as well. Um,
0: and how, and how do the weddings go? I mean, you said they start around April. Is, is it sort of, uh, all of the above or are you focus on full service or a la carte or how, how do you build that?
1: Well, I do have a minimum, which I think is, you know, it's, I do work with minimums of 20, at least 2,700, which Mm -hmm. to me seems very small. And it's rare that I even do an event that small, but it does kind of, um, narrow the focus a little bit. Yeah. I don't have a lot of people that come to me for just bouquets and, you know, boutonnieres. Um, but yeah. So mostly what I do is larger events. Um, and of course I'm not doing as many huge events, you know, but I do those as well sometimes. Um, so yeah, I do kind of the bouquets, the ceremony, the reception, we do all the setup
0: Mm -hmm. and then
1: they can also hire us to stay and transfer and then also break down and strike and sort of depends on the scope of work. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that stuff is, is needed. Other times they can opt out of certain elements. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. But it seems like when you're in that full service mode, you have to really have a good relationship with um, all the venues in your area as well, right? Absolutely. And knowing kind of the ins and outs
1: of the different venues and knowing like their particular idiosyncrasies helps give the client a sense of um, security in knowing that you're going to handle the different things. I work at museums. I work at historic venues and they all have their own little rules and I get it. And so I am, I always tell the clients, Hey, I understand what they need to do. And you know, I got that (laughs) and that really does help. And it also helps them feel comfortable and they'll refer me more often because they know that I respect their rules and I know their rules.
0: Right, right. Because you're really, your co- your currency is your reputation. And Exactly. Yeah. So what's the most outrageous thing you've had to install at like a historic property or a museum? I mean, I'm sure well, that you're always trying to like manage expectations on those things.
1: Yes. I had a very large wedding. This was probably... Oh gosh, it was several years ago. It was like maybe six years ago. And they hired me on February 15th. The wedding was March 16th of the same year. Um, it was the largest event I had ever done to date. And they basically decided that they were going to have the event on the property of one of the, the Crocker art museum, which is kind of the largest local museum. Mm -hmm um they had to they spent 2 weeks constructing a tent on the property because the actual venue itself couldn't hand hold all of the table counts they needed
0: mm-hmm. so um, it had to be kind of so, like a complete pop-up venue exactly wow. exactly
1: but it was still on the museum grounds so I still had to live up to their particular um you know, issues and things that I had to work around their stuff. So that was pretty outrageous. So that was a lot of, um, that was probably the most logistically challenging large event I've done, um, with load in, had to be loaded out all that night. Um, it was like 35 tables and there were huge arrangements of orchids and, um, you know, big phalaenopsis dropping orchids and things like that. Um, so that was a little bit of a challenge. I also had gotten, Uh, the bride had to have these particular crystal candelabras. Um, (laughs) We only had a month, of course, you know, to source these things. So I ended up finding those particular candelabras. But when you put them together, they were not the most stable. Mm. So when it was, it was very strange, they would kind of sway (laughs) the arrangements, which weighed like 25 or 28 pounds, I think, on these, you know, candelabras. They would sway back and forth ever so slightly.
0: Oh, my so, God.
1: I don't think anybody else noticed it, but I was—I had a gray stripe in the front of my hair like the mom in Poltergeist by the end of the night. <laughs> it was terrible. And, you know, you'd have – because it was all on a subfloor. It was a tent, and it was all on a subfloor. And so you had people walking by, and all of these arrangements would sort of gently sway in the wind. And I, you know, oh, it was terrifying. Right. Nothing fell. You yeah. know, it wasn't going to fall. It was just very
0: um, yeah. horrifying, horrifying. Oh my no god! Yeah, right. Because it's they're putting a, a floor on top of uneven exactly. soil and or grass. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. So that's that's like the that's the one that crisis that almost happened but didn't. Yes. And I'm sure it was beautiful. What yes, it, it was gorgeous.
1: What, it turned out perfect.
0: So. Yeah, like <laughs> I was going to say, like, what's your happy place when you're doing weddings?
1: So, uh, like, what from what from what standpoint?
0: Um, you know, like. If you could control all the all the the variables, like what would be the most uh, enjoyable gig oh, to have? You know,
1: I love it when brides. You know, some people say, "Oh, they let me do whatever they want or whatever I want." Right. And I don't. I don't feel that way. I like it when there's a collaboration between the two of us and we're sort of a meeting of the minds, um, and we're able to kind of bounce ideas and sort of really kind of come up with something that's that's bigger than what they had anticipated. Um, or not, not necessarily bigger in scope, but just more creative mm-hmm. or a different color palette. Um, so you feel very vested in those things. And I, I love that. And I love when there's, um, arrangements that are again, kind of meaningful, you know, different elements. I had a wedding a couple years ago that I loved that, um, the, we have a lot of agriculture obviously in our area and, um, The groom's family, they grew grew rice out of Calusa area, which is about probably about an hour and a half, about an hour from Sacramento. And so they were able to provide me some of the rice, and I incorporated just little bits of it here and there. I love doing that kind of thing where it's slightly personal enough that maybe the bride and groom and the immediate family notice it, but it isn't overly um, – like. You, do you know what i mean yeah. not too overly
0: specific so was uh, the rice was the rice actually the grains of rice or the the plant yeah the, yeah, the stalks i guess i should not bags of rice you know <laughs> but, but actually like right out of the out they of the fields a, yeah
1: they cut me like a bucket and i incorporated it into boutonnieres and arrangements um and the bride's bouquet how cool and it was really fun it was really neat yeah. um so I love doing those types of things. I have a lot of fun when I can collaborate with people um and again just make it something that's really personal but also something that's really special. So
0: Well, you're you're in California, which is obviously the state that produces more cut flowers than any other state in the right. country and you're you know, you have not a lot of big growers near you, but enough so that there's probably within five, six hours, like Monterey Bay and, and, you know, there's, there's product coming from Petaluma and Half Moon Bay. And those, those areas are within a couple hours from Sacramento, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, yeah. How do you, how do you access those flowers? Do you have a wholesaler that you work with or do you buy direct? I'm lucky in that I do um,
1: have a wholesaler. I, again, because I'm a small business, as I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening to this are, I wear so many hats and if I had to source from every grower what I needed, it would just be very difficult. And a a lot of people in my area do drive all the way to San Francisco. Really? Yeah. And it's about an hour and a half from Sacramento. So it's not terrible, but but you have to leave
0: at like two in the morning to get there and avoid the
1: traffic. Right. And then you're wrecked the next day, Mm. you know? So I just don't have time for that. Um, So I do have some, you know, some contacts with those people. I have a a wholesaler that's based out of Davis, which is right outside of Sacramento. Um, and they make twice a week trips down to like Carpinteria and Monterey and Mm -hmm. all of it down the coast. And I'm so lucky that they're by me because they pick everything up for me. And so I get a lot of the stuff is super fresh straight from the growers in buckets. Um, you know, I remember one year, a couple years ago, I think, I had ordered the the dahlias at the last second. I realized I needed more dahlias and she called the driver and the driver happened to be stopping at the dahlia farm next. And he ended up waiting while they cut my dahlias out of the field. Yeah. So uh, when people say, Oh, you know, I, when I'm able to say I buy local, I realize what a privilege that is because it's very easy for me to yeah. um, say I buy local because I do buy local. I mean that I start as close as I can and then kind of concentric rings out. Um, but, you know, that's, I'm very lucky.
0: Yeah. I mean, pretty much uh, you could, well, I, I've i cited this definition from USDA that it, it applies to food, but, one of the definitions is within a 400 mile radius or within the state in which it was grown, it can be the finest local. So you're, you're covered. Um, and it's funny because I will sometimes not to pick on LA, but I will sometimes read about or interview or come across designers in LA who shop at the Los Angeles flower mart and just, you know, have no, no interest in sourcing locally. They just want, right. you know, the world as their oyster. And I'm thinking to myself, you have, you have the privilege that no one else in the country has, <laughs> being exactly. right in L.A. or right in San Francisco, or you know, and you're you're not taking advantage of it. So it sounds right. like you've kind of evolved your sourcing philosophy to to fit what's available um, seasonally. Yeah,
1: and it's from a purely selfish standpoint. <laughs> really. I love getting the most amazing flowers and the most amazing flowers are the ones that are grown not far from me and aren't, you know, going through the rigors of being shipped and, um, you know, grown out of season, things like that. So when I want to work with ranuncula, it's at this time of year, it's, uh, you know, April through, you know, mid May, um, they're the most amazing
0: at that point. Yeah. The juiciest, yummiest, uh,
1: dreamiest. Yeah. So I, it's, it's obviously it is, uh, has a lot of benefits, but I always feel like, you know, I just do it because I want the best stuff. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and with you, with your season of April through, you said, well, like October ish or September. Yeah. um, do you have occasional dead of winter, uh, calls for flowers? And if so, what do you do?
1: Well, and then, like I mentioned, I kind of work on buying in concentric circles. Mm -hmm. So Mm. if I can't get them from California, um, it's going, you know, further out. And then sometimes I do go over into like, you know, Ecuador or Colombia. And also with those types of events, I try to sell them on things that I know are going to be easiest to get or know that they're going to be, um, Things that are like grown at Pajarosa, you mm-hmm, know, because um, mm-hmm. they have an amazing like, you know, hot house kind of situation there or are grown up in Arcata.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and then I end up foraging for my cool stuff.
0: I was just going to ask you if you almost, yeah. you could almost always guarantee local greenery, uh, it, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. And that is
1: something that's kind of a joke. My
0: stepdad works for the park district here um, right by me.
1: So now I joke that I'm going to go get uh, one of the orange vests and I'm going <laughs> to put cones out by my van and no one will ever question me, you know. Um, and, of course, I'm very respectful when I forage. Please don't forage from people's yards right. unless you say you can. Um, but I love me a public land where you, you know, it's obviously I'm not cutting from national forests or anything. But, um, you know, if it's like PG&E. Um, right grounds and there's the most amazing privet trees. Um, and they're, they're growing under some power lines, um, in a, in a business park. And so that's my secret for <laughs> <winter laughs> stash of cool stuff. You know, I love it. So I try to sell my brides on things that I know that I can forage that are going to be, that'll give them, still give them that cool look Um, even though we're using kind of the staples during the winter time.
0: Right. Shannon, do people, do your clients ask for local or Sacramento grown or North, Northern California grown, or are you having to introduce that idea to them? You know, it's rare.
1: It's Mm -hmm. rare that they notice or try to ask for that. I do get it occasionally. Um, most of the time people ask for seasonal thinking that they're going to save money, Mm -hmm. which is a big misnomer. You know, we can go on and on about that, but, Mm -hmm. um, that's mostly where their motivation is. And when you do tell them, Hey, you know, I use a lot of seasonal blooms. They're like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like,
0: but I, yeah, <laughs> unless they were maybe super into local wine and local food and kind exactly. of wanted that theme, I, I suppose that would yes. Being close to Davis. I mean, you've probably got all these people who are in the wine industry um, yeah. getting married yeah. there.
1: There is, and I do travel, like, I travel pretty much within, like, an hour and a half of Sacramento, so I do a lot of events in Napa, I do a lot of events in um, what's called Shenandoah Valley, which is um, a lot of Reds and Zins, <clears throat> a lot of Zins and mm. um, Sangio VCs and such are grown out that way, um, so wow. and I, I travel up to Tahoe, and I don't go into San Francisco that much, but I do, yeah. I you know. So,
0: well, that's cool. Um, So, we're talking about all this local, um, but last summer you participated in the design contest that the Alaska Peony Marketing Group um, put on with Florist Review Magazine, and Slow Flowers was sort of one of the prize donors. And Uh you were selected as one of the three featured designers for amazing peony creation. Were those Alaska peonies or I guess that wasn't no. required, was it? It was just a peony design contest. And it had to be, I think it was American grown. I okay. think that was what the specification
1: was, but, um, it's kind of funny. There is a, a, person who grows peonies not far from me. Um, her name is Karen Hull and the name of her business is bodacious blooms. Oh,
0: I've met her. I met her at a peony conference. Yeah. Yeah. And and very she's
1: cool. fabulous. Um, and she has a very, you know, small farm and, um, once I kind of made contact with her, I did this two years in a row. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to do it this year. Um, but I'll definitely do it again next year. Um, when her, you know, peonies are in season, I went ahead and bought, you know, like 50 or 60 stems of different varieties and did a photo shoot strictly based on those particular Mm -hmm. peonies. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had actually, we did that photo shoot that the image came from um, at her farm. And, um, I did it not with the peony contest in mind. It was just a shoot I had done to kind of showcase some different, um, techniques and also to showcase some local blooms and, um, you know, use in my, my own personal marketing. And of course, everybody that was, that was in the shoot did that as well. And Karen sent me the information about the contest and said, Hey, did you see this? You should submit your images, and so I did. And you know, I was so happy that we one of the images were chosen.
0: Well, to describe it to people, and we'll share photos um, on the show notes uh, for today's episode. Um, but it's like a a boa almost, right?
1: Like a, it was like a boa. Um, I love know.
0: it. Yeah, it was
1: a lot of fun, and I I built it. Um, trying to remember my base was, I think, Ivy. Mm. And then I went from there and, uh, actually just glued all the flowers in. I made it the night before and glued all the flowers in and, um, peonies hold up really well when you glue them. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Oh it was, my gosh. Um, it was something It was, I'm also a member of Chapel Designers. Mm-hmm. I think that's it, how you and I met originally was through Chapel it Designers. It might have been. So, yeah. And I feel like I've known you for longer than I probably have known you. I don't know. <laughs> I sort of, we're sort of rotating in, you know, similar <laughs> spheres, but, um, I actually learned a little bit of the kind of wearable techniques from, um, Susan McCleary, who's passion, passion, oh, no, flower. passion, passion flowers. Yeah. Um, and I had come back, I had, I had done the the chapel designers conference in New York. And, um, so we were building all kinds of different things and she had talked about the bow and that's something I had done back in like, Oh, I want to say like ninety-seven or something. I had done something similar. Um, but had kind of forgotten about it. And I was like, oh, I want to do one of those with peonies. And oh. um it was really fun. It had baronia in it. It had um, um Oh, Um oh, Haleenopsis
0: orchids as well. Oh, it was it was beautiful. So um yeah, that was published in Florist Review, I think, last uh summer after the drawing or after the judging. And um I would love to share that. Um yeah, definitely. And some other of your work uh other pieces and uh the knowing that you're really able to source almost 100-, 100% from California it'll be really fun to share some of the designs that you've done maybe from spring summer and fall so people can see how yeah, the seasons go um, and you were re- recently featured in Sacramento Magazine, and that is yeah. a, was a beautiful article. And thanks for the shout out about slow flowers. Um, oh yeah, how did I love ca- to try to share it as much as I can because I think it's an important important movement. Yeah, it was it was like a a real opportunity for you to educate the local kind of lifestyle reader about working you know working seasonally. I mean that was a great piece. How did that yeah. come about?
1: Oh, and I wanted to kind of give you a quick little in thing. Um, Sacramento Magazine also publishes um, a magazine, a wedding sister magazine um, called Our Wedding, and they're going to republish the article in the wedding magazine, and I'll make a, I have to make like a bouquet that's kind of spring local flowers. Oh, oh how uh, fun. Yeah, so that'll be
0: republished in there too. Oh, what's that uh, called? Our Wedding. Oh, Our Wedding. So it's kind of like the regional wedding right. magazine. Oh, very cool.
1: Yeah. I'd love
0: to, that's, Keep it going. That's awesome, Shannon. Yes. I'm proud of you. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, well, it's funny that that article came out. I had actually, when I was doing the peony shoot that we had mentioned earlier, I thought, God, what a great, like, local kind of story for them. Mm-hmm. If they came out or maybe used the images from the shoot, I could talk about, hey, I'm using ranunculus from this farm here. I'm using, um, I think I used the ranunculus from, um, I believe it was full belly farm and they're mm. out in Cape Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used, um, Barone, I believe it was, it was grown on, um, you know, it's probably Resendis brothers yeah. down in Monterey. Yeah. Um, and then the peonies I was at the farm, they were grown at and I thought, how, what a great article, you know? So I actually, I have known the, um, one of the editors at, or a couple of the editors and I pitched it to them and I said, you know, this is what I'm doing and you should do an article. Well, with magazines, you know, you can pitch ideas to them, but if it doesn't fit with their particular, uh, editorial calendar at that moment, they'll kind of go, well, that doesn't work, but they kept it. They kept the idea. Um, and later came to me and said, Hey, I, we weren't able to fit that idea into what we were doing, but we still love the idea of how you use local flowers and let's do a little page on you. And it was, um, they have a section called the 916, which is our area code. Oh, right. And it's just about, like, local interest stories, you know, people, um, restaurants, what, what have you. Um, and so they asked, you know, interviewed me on that. And it was really great to, you know, share some information.
0: I love it. And, I mean, what I've heard about Sacramento is that it is a huge, slow food community and very food-centric. Oh, yeah. So it's only a matter of time before... The media starts paying attention to other agricultural, you know, categories like yes. flowers. So I, I love that that they localize it.
1: Now that we're having more and more of these boutique growers pop up, right? And so excited about that because, um, well, for instance, like uh, Full Belly Farms. A couple of years ago, I did a huge baptism. For the couple, actually, the couple that had their wedding at the museum that I mentioned mm, earlier, mm-hmm. uh, their first child, it was a baptism, and I did this huge party for them in flowers, and I got Celosia, um, the coxcomb, like brain flower. Right. It was I'm not even joking. It was like, uh, I want to say it looked, I mean, it was amazing. It looked like a brain because it was like <laughs> eight inches across, like eight six. It was the most amazing, luscious Celosia. Um And that type of stuff you can only really get when you're working with these types of boutique growers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because they don't grow a lot of it. And so when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's cool. It's exciting as a designer to work with that type of material um, because when it comes in, you want to do the best you can with it because it is amazing.
0: I love it. And also, you've just alluded to something else about your style and your relationships with your clients. They come back, maybe they only have one wedding, but then they start having anniversaries and babies and um, other ceremonies. So,
1: Several of my clients have had more than one wedding. And I joke that they like (laughs) me better than their spouse because I've done all
0: of their weddings. Get rid of the husband, but keep the flowers. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's great. Well, this has been so much fun. Uh, Shannon, I'm just so glad that we finally got uh, our schedules synced up so we could record this. and Absolutely. Excited to share some photos of your work and just to talk a little bit about your philosophy, too, because um, I, I think a lot of people who've been in business and done flowers as long as you have haven't changed and haven't adapted. They've, they're still designing what looks like it's from the 80s or 90s. And I don't think that's a way to survive in this industry anymore. I think you have it to push isn't. yourself.
1: Well, I always say that my, my client stays the same age and I keep getting older. Yeah, what's um, up with that? <laughs> right? It's not fair. Um, and so I do try to be as much as I can, you know, paying attention to the design styles and changing as it moves and finding what elements of the newer design excites me as a designer um, I don't think I do everything that is trendy, but I do some elements of it. Um, and I still try to keep it true to my design style, but keep it fresh too. And
0: it's not easy, but it's also it keeps you from getting bored. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. I mean, and I, if you wanted safe, you'd still have a retail, uh, maybe not. I don't know if that would be safe. That would maybe be insane. <laughs> no, right. if you wanted no. safe, you'd still be doing bookkeeping. <laughs>
1: That's true. That is so true. I love it. Well, Shannon,
0: thank you so much. We're going to have, yeah, we're going to show photos of you and your flowers and all your social places so people can find that at the show notes at DebraPrincing.com, And hopefully you'll get to meet Shannon uh, if you're in the Sacramento area, maybe even on a flower farm. Who knows? Yeah, just reach out and
1: I'll see if I can hook up with somebody and meet up and show you all the good stuff.
0: Oh, that's great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. See you later. Hi Deborah. Thanks so much for joining me today. The Slow Flowers Luxury Package promotion continues now through April 20th. If you register for the upcoming Slow Flowers Summit conference by that date, you'll be entered into a random drawing to receive a $400 gift package. All the details are available at today's show notes and also at slowflowerssummit.com. The Slow Flowers Podcast has been downloaded more than 300,000 times by listeners like you. In fact, March 2018 was our all-time highest month of listenership at more than 12,200 downloads. Thank you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As the Slow Flowers movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at deborahprinzing.com in the right column. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all of our programs, including this podcast, American Flowers Week, the slowflowers.com online directory to American Grown Flowers, as well as our new channels, the Slow Flowers Journal and the 2018 Slow Flowers Summit. They are Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at ArcticAlaskaPeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Grower's Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers' Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978. Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. We're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at Mayesh.com. By Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.